Back in the early 90s, I was a pastor in Little Rock, or an assistant pastor in Little Rock. It was my first uh, job out of seminary. And we bought a house. It was just Catherine and Sarah and, and me. At that point, we bought a house at the end of a cul-de-sac there near the church uh, where all the, all the houses had garages. And we never really became friends with anybody around us because everyone came home, opened their garage, drove their car into the garage, and into their homes from the inside. And none of the houses had front porches. They had decks uh, off the house in the backyard, and everybody had a privacy fence that you couldn't see through. So you could hear people, and they, they, were, they lived there. We know that. Uh, you might see them mowing their grass from time to time in the front or going out to get their mail if they didn't stop as they were driving in and reach out and get it. But we didn't get to know our, our neighbors. You, you, you rarely saw them. And everyone lived inside their own bubble and the neighbors had no significant interaction with one another. I look back on that with some regret that I did not make a better effort to insert myself like a pin into the several bubbles around me on that cul-de-sac. What might have been going on in the homes and hearts of the people inside those little three-bedroom, two-bath houses on Cedar Ridge Court. How might I have been an ambassador of Christ to someone there who was lost and suffering? And what held me back from doing that? Self-centeredness, wrapped up in my own life, self-absorbed, only worried about my young family and my new job, Selfishness so wrapped up in my own comforts and isolation that I didn't have time for others. And if I did think about it, and I know I did think about it, how can I reach out to my neighbors? Then fear and timidity would set in, and the whole enterprise of reaching out to others seemed too daunting to try. And then the overall result was just a lack of love for others. Because love is something you do, it's not something you feel. Well, to my shame, I confess that little has changed in the past 20 years. I still struggle to get out of the bubble of my own life. I'm naturally an introvert, and that's not good for a pastor. In fact, it's the opposite of good. But I'm grateful that the Lord has been bringing this to my attention through the various circumstances of my life and interactions with others and through some writings that I've encountered uh, here recently. So it's a struggle for me, and I know I'm not alone in that. I know I am not alone in this struggle to get out of my bubble and love people through getting involved in their lives. In fact, it's such a prevalent problem that there's a theological term for it. And that term is incurvatus in se, which is a Latin phrase for turned or curved inward on oneself. 
And that's what sin is. It's a, it's a selfishness. It's a turning in on yourself. It's, it's to be completely self-absorbed and self-interested. This theological phrase describes a life lived inward for oneself rather than outward for God and others. And it was probably Augustine of Hippo, people think, who first coined the phrase in Curvatus in say. Martin Luther expounded on it in his lectures on Romans and described this state as our nature by the corruption of the first sin being so deeply curved in on itself that it not only bends the best gifts of God towards itself and enjoys them, as is plain in the works righteousness and in the works righteous and hypocrites, or rather even uses God himself in order to attain these gifts. But it also fails to realize that it is so wickedly, curvedly, and viciously seeking all things, even God, for its own sake. It's being so self-centered and not even thinking or being thoughtful about others. Now, one of the circumstances that, that, uh, of my current life here uh, recently that the Lord is using to expose my lack of love to others is my interaction with Philip and, and Lori Seeley. Philip, uh, as I mentioned before, many of you know, is our church planner over in Ocean Springs uh, who is battling cancer. Lori wrote this on Facebook a few days ago. She says um, she's giving thanks for uh, how people have reached out to them. We continue to see friends near and far, friends from so many varying scenes of life, friends of radically diverse backgrounds, moving towards us with acts of kindness and generosity. She goes on to say that she's you know, thanking everyone and, and wants to give even more uh, thanks, personal thanks to others. But, he, but she says this, Through disability ministry and in church planting, we've always encouraged others to not be afraid of moving towards those who suffer, but to look for simple ways to just show up and compassionately step into another's story. It's surreal suddenly being on the receiving end of that. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for the multitude of ways many of you are loving us so well. And the fervent prayers that daily flow are no small part of that from our perspective. We fight forward and are grateful we don't do so alone. She said something there that, that, that made me want to go preach to her a little bit uh, because that's what I'm going to preach to you today. She says it's surreal suddenly being on the receiving end of that. Now, Philip and Lawyer are great at reaching out and getting involved in people's lives and loving on them, especially people who are, who are suffering. Uh, but she has already been on the receiving end of that uh, with what God has done for her. Those who are moving towards them with tangible kindness and generosity, showing up and stepping into their current story, are modeling God. That's what God has done for humanity. You see, the people that are doing this, she says, are from radically different backgrounds, and not all of them are Christians, I know. But they're loving. They're loving them. And when they love and show mercy to those who are suffering and struggling, like the Seelies are, they're being like God. And we see it in this passage that we're looking at today, probably the most famous Christmas passage of all time or in the Bible. And we read there, God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. 
In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, <clears throat> there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the chi this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Well, I want us to see three things this morning from this passage. First of all, God shows up for us himself. God shows up for us himself. And then God shows up for, for us at our place on time. And then finally, God shows up for us with mercy. Well, first of all, God shows up for us himself. At Christmas, we celebrate the greatest miracle in the history of the world, the eternal Son of God being born as a man, arriving on earth in Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Now, we've heard this story many times, but we need to let that sink in for a moment. God became a man and showed up on earth. God, who created the earth, the universe, by his word, the universe which contains billions, if not trillions, of galaxies, according to astrophysicists, who created the human cell, which scientists tells us contains the information equivalent to about 100 million pages of the Encyclopedia Britannica, the Encyclopedia Britannica became a baby. That's astounding. Now, over the past few weeks, we've referenced some Old Testament prophecies, such as Isaiah 7:14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Of course, Emmanuel means God with us. In Matthew 1, when the angel Gabriel appears to Joseph, he quotes this in reference to Jesus. He will be called Emmanuel, God with us. In Isaiah 9, I know the ladies looked at this one in their luncheon. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So 
This baby came to us who was born. Uh, he was God. That's astounding. John 1 affirms this, of course. Tells us that the Word was God. And then later on, verse 14, the, the Word, God, became flesh and dwelt among us. God has come to us. The infinite became an infant. Tim Keller says, Everything in the Hebrew worldview militated against the idea that a human being could be God. Jews would not even pronounce the name Yahweh nor spell it. And yet Jesus Christ, by his life, by his claims, and by his resurrection, convinced his closest Jewish followers that he was not just a prophet telling them how to find God, but God himself come to find us. God showed up. He entered the story, our story. He came alongside of us. Now, second of all, we see here that God showed up for us at our place on time. You see the first few verses there. Luke tells us where and when God came to us. First, where? It was uh, Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Just a little place, nothing important. A locale on planet Earth, God came came to us in that place, and it tells us when, verse 1, in those days, Luke puts a, a time stamp on it, when it happened. A decree of Caesar Augustus, which there's historical records of, talks about Quirinius, governor of Syria, that we have uh, a record of him in, uh, in our, the annals of history. But he points to this specific point in the history of the world and he mentions these specific historical events and peoples. God is outside of human history in the sense that he's not bound by time and, and he created human history and all of history and the future to him are, in the words of Hermann Bavinck, an eternal present. He sees the beginning and the end because he planned it all and he's sovereign over it all. So he's outside of time. It kind of blows your mind to think of that. Yet he himself entered human history. He was born. He grew. He faced human suffering. All the temptations we face, but without sin. He faced all his human and spiritual enemies, and he conquered all his and our enemies, and he will do that, including the greatest enemy, death itself. You know, there are people who deny that Jesus even existed. And of course there are those who deny that he is God. And I believe the evidence of his life speaks for itself and I would challenge anyone to examine it. And that's not my purpose here today to review that. But look at verse 6. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Now, of course, yes, we know that uh, after nine months or thereabouts, uh, a woman has a child if she's pregnant with a child. But there's more to that phrase than just nine months was up. The time came. The promise of a Messiah had been made hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. People were on the lookout for the one who would appear and ascend to the throne of David. And when Israel split and, and, and Israel and Judah both were conquered, the hopes of a Messiah grew severely dim. And then there were 400 years where Nobody heard anything from God. There were no prophets. 
until John the Baptist came and said, hey, the Messiah is coming, prepare the way. Because he has come and entered into history in a time and a place in our world's history to save us. The call to worship this morning from Galatians 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. God had a plan, and God came to us, just like the people who are showing up over at the Seely's door, to show mercy to our dear friends who are suffering. God showed up at our place at a particular time when we needed him to show us mercy. And that's the third thing I want us to see. God shows up for us with mercy, thankfully. When the angel appears to the shepherds, verse 9 tells us that the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear, as they should have been, rightfully so, because the glory of the Lord refers to this bright light that surrounds the presence of God himself. Sometimes God appears as a cloud sometimes as a bright light or a burning fire. And shepherds, to be honest, did not have a great reputation. Uh, their work prevented them from keeping the ceremonial law, so they were outsiders, they were unclean. We've looked at that in other passages in Luke over the past few months. And as they moved about the country, it was common for them to be regarded as thieves. But here are the angels appearing to them, and they were considered uh, unreliable and were not allowed to give evidence in the courts even. That's how much of a bad reputation they had. Now when a bunch of angels appears to a bunch of shady characters like these guys, you would expect, uh-oh, we're in trouble now. Kind of like when Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord in the temple, he exclaimed, I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. But he was a prophet. And if a prophet has unclean lips, what about these poor shepherds? No doubt the shepherds were in great fear. It was bad news for them to encounter God's glory and his messenger. But of course, the angel does not destroy them, but says, fear not, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be not just for you, but for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. God has showed up to show you mercy. Not what you deserve. It's for all the people, not just them, but for all of us. Instead of coming to us in judgment, which God had every right to do, he comes to us in the most unintimidating form possible, a human baby. No newborn in the animal kingdom is more vulnerable and fragile and non-threatening as a human baby. You know, you look at calves or horses that are born, you know, we laugh because they're kind of ungangly, but they walk right off the bat, you know, and they, they know what to do. Human babies aren't that way. The eternal Son of God was born a baby to show us mercy, comes in tenderness and mercy. And it happens quietly in a stable, in an obscure village in Judea. 
It reminds us of what Philippians 2 affirms. Paul says that though he was in the form of God, when he was at the right hand of the Father there, he didn't account equality with God a thing to be held on to with all of its honors, but he emptied himself of those rights and privileges by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and then ultimately dying for us. Now, I'm sure Joseph sought to make that manger. I mean, he's born in a food trough. He thought he wanted to make it clean and comfortable under the circumstances, but it certainly wasn't a fancy bassinet in a royal palace, which is where one would expect the king of kings to be born and raised. But he emptied himself and became a servant for our sake. He was impoverished and deprived and vulnerable. So he comes to us not wanting to hammer us with his judgment, but to come and tenderly show us mercy. And you see there what, what is said about him to the, to the shepherds. Verse 11, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, a Savior. Jesus, the, word, the, the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. In, in Hebrew, it's Yeshua or Joshua. Jesus is the Greek form of that. He is the Savior. He's come to save us from the guilt of our sins, the penalty of them, the power they have over us, and ultimately the presence of sin. He is Christ. He is the one promised long ago, the Messiah. And he is the Lord. Again, he's God. And notice the first three words. For unto us a Savior is born. We need a Savior. We need help. We need mercy. We cannot help ourselves. When you look out and you see someone who is suffering in great pain and almost a hopeless situation, you think, man, they need help. They need somebody to come alongside and help them out in their time of need. They can't do all the things they're supposed to do. They can't function. They need someone to help them up. And that is us. God saw that. We're drowning in sin. And he came to rescue us. He came to save us. Well, we had uh, Christmas with my extended family last night. So my brother, sister-in-law, nieces, nephews, niece, nephews, uh, and uh, my cousins, aunt and uncle, and my cousins are my youngest cousins. They're like 20 years younger than me. And they have little kids. And, you know, I can remember when we had little kids or when, when I was a little kid and you open presents all together, invariably there's going to be an argument and a fight and a fuss over present someone doesn't want the other kid uh, having his present or playing with her present selfishness in Carvatis and say <laughs> that we're born with sets in and of course that was the case last night see we want to be selfish with our gifts we, we forget that as we sang we have received this gift we prayed in our confession you give us the greatest gift of all. You've given us yourself, but we don't take notice. We're caught up with our own lives. So we take that gift for granted or we're selfish with it. 
But when you think about this, when you have a, a, a gift that, that you get, you know, we as adults, we grow up and we become a bit more mature about the gifts that we have. If you receive a gift that you love, uh, not just for Christmas, but for any, any occasion, uh, you like to share it with others. Maybe you would recommend it to others. I love to cook, and I've gotten a couple things here recently that I just, I will recommend them to you. An instant pot. I mean, I love this thing, and it's great. And if, uh, if you like to cook, and I know that, then I'm, I'm going to tell you, you need to get one of these things. It's, it's amazing. And if I really loved you, I might even buy you one. I knew you wanted one. I also got, for Father's Day this year, a Kamado grill. It's one of these egg-shaped grills. Man, I'm having the best time grilling. And I'm recommending that gift to everybody. You should get, you, you need that. You should get it. Well, God has given us a gift of himself. The, the great thing is, it's a free gift. He says, come, buy, without money, without cost. And if you had, you know, if I knew that the Instant Pot was free or the grill was free, I would go get one and give it to you or I would tell you where to get it. I would make sure you got one, especially if I knew you needed one. Well, everybody needs Jesus. And if we have received this gift and we value it, then we ought to, we ought to take Jesus to people. We ought to come alongside him like, like God did for us. He reached out to us, entered time and space, entered into our lives and brought us mercy. And if, if what the Bible says is true of us, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're called to go and tell people about this free gift that they don't have to purchase at a store or anywhere else. It's a free thing. They just need to receive it. So I want to encourage you with that today. Look at, the, look at verse 17 really quickly. The shepherds went and saw what they had been told about, and they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. They went out and told other people about it. They went out and shared it with others, and they continue to worship. I hope that you all can be gripped by the, the wonder of this gift that we have been given. And if not today, if, if you're nonplussed or not, you know, maybe you're curious about this, I would encourage you to do what the shepherds did at the beginning. When they were told about it, like you're being told about it today, they said, well, verse 15, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Let's check it out. And they went with haste. I would say to you, don't delay. Go with haste. Investigate these things. Don't delay. You need mercy. You may not even know it, but you need the mercy. He is the only redeemer of, of, of sinners such as we are. We all need Jesus. And he has come to us in time and space. Let's pray together. Lord, as we celebrate the Christmas holiday this coming week, as we celebrate your incarnation for the rest of our lives, we pray that we would never lose the wonder 
like that of the shepherds, that they continuously investigated and worshiped and shared it with others. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would ever keep it warm in our hearts. And Lord, help us to overcome our selfishness by your grace, our curving in on ourselves, our living in our own bubble, afraid to reach out to others. Help us to overcome that, knowing that what we have is what other people need, and it's free. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be great ambassadors for you in our lives. Teach us how to do that and give us courage to do so. And Lord, if anyone here does not know you, we pray that they would with haste go and check it out. Call upon you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.